My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Latanya Grant. Black people have been facing disproportionate violence and death at the hands of the police in North America for a long, long time. And for just as long, black communities have been working to challenge that violence and transform the racist social relations that create it. And in 2014, a new wave of that struggle against police brutality and racist police violence, led by black youth, swept the continent under the banner of Black Lives Matter. In Canada, in the face of all of this, there's a tendency, particularly among those of us who are white, to tut disapprovingly and shake our heads, and then dismiss it all as a U.S. problem that surely doesn't happen here. Which is false and ridiculous, of course. It very much does happen here. Black Lives Matter organizing has been happening here, and you can check out the relevant Talking Radical Radio episode from December to get a sense of what some of that has been like in the Toronto context. And there's a long, long history of African Canadians facing violence at the hands of the police. On September 24, 2014, Jermaine Carby was in a car being driven by a friend in Brampton, Ontario. They were pulled over by officers of the Peel Regional Police, and a few minutes later, Carby was shot and killed by one of the officers, moments after getting out of the vehicle. Devastated, but well aware of the history, Latanya Grant, who's Carby's cousin, very quickly decided that there had to be a committee working to seek justice in the aftermath of the shooting, and she began putting together the Justice for Jermaine Carby Committee. Especially since the police and the Special Investigations Unit, or SIU, that is looking into the shooting have so far kept many important details about exactly what happened from the family, she and the rest of the committee have been doing their own investigation, and they've been putting pressure on the SIU and the police, both around this case in particular, and around the question of racist police violence more generally. Grant talks with me about the tragic events of that night, the work done by the committee, and the ongoing struggle against racist police violence in Canada. We spoke by Skype to phone. My name is Latanya Grant. I'm the first cousin of Jermaine Carby, and I'm now the founder and chair of the Justice for Jermaine Carby Committee. The Justice for Jermaine Carby Committee was created September 24th, 2014, when Jermaine Carby was murdered by Pill Regional Police. We decided to do an independent investigation alongside the SIU, and that's how we've decided to uh, create this committee. Jermaine was the first grandchild. There's Jermaine, then there's my brother, then there's me. So we grew up pretty close. He's only about three years older than me. He was an amazing guy, a funny guy, a loving guy. He was a pretty tall and built guy, but he was just like a teddy bear. People might have gotten intimidated by his size, but he was the most friendliest person you could meet. If you needed him there, he was there for you, whether it be financially, whether it be spiritually, emotionally. He would stop what he was doing to help you. He was a family-oriented man. He was always there for family. From what we've investigated, what happened that night was 
my cousin Jermaine Carby, his friend picked him up around 9.45 at his house, which was located by Queen and McMurchy. As they proceeded down Queen and passed over Kennedy, they were pulled over by a Peel Regional Police officer. We're still unaware of the reason why they were pulled over, but once they were, my cousin Jermaine Carby exited the passenger side of the vehicle and approached the officers asking them, you know, what's the problem? They proceeded to tell him to drop the knife, we don't want to shoot you. And he kept saying, what, what knife, what knife? And as he kept walking towards them, they shot him four times. It was a regular civilian that called the ambulance, not the police. We have video coverage that shows the police just standing around talking to each other after the occurrence, and then they proceed to arrest his lifeless body. When the ambulance arrives, we have another video footage that shows them trying to resuscitate his body, but they had no luck. They then brought him to Brampton Civic Hospital, where he was pronounced dead at 10.45. This whole time, he was actually a John Doe. According to the medical reports that I've retrieved, the ambulance report says he's a John Doe. The Brampton Civic Hospital report said he was a John Doe, and he was even pronounced dead as a John Doe. It was a nurse who had recognized him because he had visited that hospital a couple weeks prior. She was able to identify him as Jermaine Carby, and that's how they were able to call my aunt and let my aunt know exactly what happened. Since then, the SIU has taken it upon themselves to investigate the case. And just to clarify for listeners, the SIU, or Special Investigations Unit, is a body that is at least ostensibly independent of the police, though it is staffed by former police officers, that gets called in to investigate when there's some element of police conduct that is deemed in need of investigation, such as when an individual is killed by the police. And they've yet to tell us whether Jermaine had a knife or not. They've yet to tell us the officer's name who shot Jermaine. And they've yet to tell us why the car was pulled over in the first place and the driver of the vehicle, what his name is and where his whereabouts are. It was pretty much right away that you decided that you needed to have a committee to learn more and to find some kind of justice in the situation? Yes, it was. Because of the fact that I've been doing my research and the SIU has a 98% clearance rate, so they continue to clear officers who kill unarmed victims or innocent black men, I should say, because I know that Pure Regional Police has a track record of racial profiling. So I've decided to not leave it in their hands and have them tell me what they want to tell me, but to follow the case from the beginning so that I can know the facts for myself and as well as my family can get the proper closure that they deserve. There's about seven of us. I'm actually the only family member, and they're all strangers. One person, he actually has done this type of work before in, in the community, so when I posted up the page and I've spoken at different events, he's contacted me. And then we then decided to put up the Facebook page. And that's when other people decided they wanted to join because they wanted to see justice for Jermaine because they're tired of seeing these things happen in their community. So it's all total strangers who just want to see justice and they want the police to be held accountable for their actions. And you said that one of the main things that you had to be doing, especially initially, was just trying to find out more about what went on. Tell me about the steps that you took to try and learn exactly what had happened. 
Well, the first thing that I did was ask my aunt to sign an affidavit stating that I can retrieve any information in regards to my cousin on her behalf. Because she's a full-time nurse at Sunnybrook Hospital, she doesn't really have time to come with me to do what I'm doing. I've actually been on maternity leave, which was a blessing because it gave me time to be able to investigate the case. I've retrieved the medical reports from the hospital. I retrieved the ambulance report. People who were there that night who have seen the Facebook page have sent in video coverage of things that they videotaped that night. I've been contacting the SIU pretty much weekly trying to get information on what happened. So now they have to speak to me rather than anyone else. And we've just been investigating in regards to just gathering facts. The people that we've seen on the news that night who mentioned that Jermaine did not have a knife in his hand, he had his hands in the air. We cut and pasted those people and put them on the Facebook page in order to find out who they are, if anybody recognizes them. They have contacted us and they're doing interviews with our private investigator to get their side of the story because I know the SIU interviews them as well. So we're both trying to find out what happened that night. And those are the steps that we've been taking. We've been setting up rallies. We've been setting up events. We've been partnering with Black Lives Matters and anyone else who wants to hear the story. We've just been so grateful that we can bring awareness to the people of what happened that night, seeing how the media will not play it. It sounds like in reaching out to people in the community that people have been willing to be helpful and to bring information forward? Yes, some people have been willing to be helpful. I mean, maybe others that were there that night choose not to be helpful because of the fact that fear that they might be targeted. So we totally understand that the police kind of have this thing where people are intimidated by them rather than feeling that they are the people that they can go to to protect them. One lady had a video of the whole event but chose not to come forward anymore. Tell me more about the events and the rallies that you've organized and been a part of. The first week after he was buried, we had an event where we marched from where Jermaine was murdered right back to the city hall in Brampton. That was the first march that we had. We've spoken at different events that have come up in regards to the Mike Brown case downtown at university, in regards to the Eric Gardner downtown by Bendeth Street in Young. Uh, and these are a couple of the high-profile recent cases of black men killed by police in the United States that some of the Black Lives Matter organizing has focused on and been responding to? On the third month, which was December 24th, that marked the three-month anniversary, we had a vigil for Jermaine right by Queen and Kennedy where he was murdered. We blocked off the intersection for about two hours with candles and just demanded that people know what happened that night. We'd handed out flyers to cars that were stopped so that they were aware of why we were blocking off the street. And we've spoken to the news, we've spoken to the CBC, we've spoken to City TV, CP24, we've done radio interviews. There's been about 20 events that we've done to date since the event happened. So every month we try to do at least three to four events to keep it in the public eye and let people know exactly what happened. And in case people didn't know, we keep bringing it back to the forefront so people could know. Because it's funny, a lot of people know about Mike Brown or Eric Gardner or Trayvon Martin, but not a lot of people know about Jermaine Carby. So we feel that it's something that we need to continue bringing in the forefront so that it doesn't get swept under the rug.
Tell me about the kinds of conversations that you have at the events, for example, or leafleting people at the vigil with people who are first hearing about the case. What kind of questions do they have? What kind of response do they have? A lot of people are actually shocked because they didn't even know that this event occurred, and it's been months later. So they're, they're wondering why the media is not covering it, why the media is not playing it. They're wondering why the SIU refuses to give us the information on whether or not Jermaine had a knife or not, and even where the driver is, because the driver is the main witness in this case, but he seems to be missing in action. They're wondering why there's no mention of the driver's name at all in any news reports or any newspaper writings or any clippings in regards to Jermaine Carby's case. They're willing to support. They've been happy and they've been thankful that I've been stepping up as Jermaine's cousin to continue to put this in the forefront. They've called me brave. They've said that, you know, I've had to have a lot of tenacity and they're thankful that someone is stepping up in regards to fighting the police and not intimidated by their power. A lot of them just don't know why the police continue getting away with these type of things and they're not being held accountable. Many people have said that, yes, Peel Regional Police are the worst police in Ontario, and they've mentioned many times that they've been racial profiling people for years, so they're happy that this case is going forward and that we continue to bring it in the public eye. And in my experience, one of the things that you sometimes see in trying to raise questions of police brutality, police targeting of young black men in Canada, is that a lot of white folks in Canada will say, oh, well, that's a U.S. problem, isn't it? Is that an attitude that you've run into? Yes, yes, we definitely have. We definitely have. I realize that Canada, we try to portray that Canada is this positive place to live and it's free from all the things and it's better than the States. But in reality, these things that are happening in the States are happening right here in Canada. Jermaine Carby is just one of the black males that have been killed by police. I mean, there's Junior Minaj, there's Mike Elgon, there's Sammy Yatim, who was recently killed on a streetcar by a police officer. Uh, and just to make sure that it's clear, these are Canadian examples. These things continue to happen. It's just that we're not as vocal about it, or we don't, we don't come together and unify like the states and have marches and rallies the way they do when someone in the states gets killed. You've seen what happened when Mike Brown got killed and when Eric Gardner got killed and, like I said, even Trayvon Martin. But a lot of people, yeah, they kind of turn the blind eye because I feel if you're not being racial profiled against, then you won't know that it exists. So we can't expect, I mean, I don't judge them for not believing that it happens because they're not a product of, they don't, they don't get racial profiled. So they wouldn't really know that it's happening unless a friend or a family member tells them about it. But as we continue to bring it in the forefront and let the news know that these things are occurring, these things are happening, there's one person in my committee right now that is trying to gather all the facts of all the black men that have been killed by police in Ontario so that we can show them that this is something that is continuously happening. But the media, they could only put out what they are allowed to put out. Maybe they work with the police. I'm not exactly sure. But I realize that they don't put out this type of information because they don't want Canada to look like the States, even though we are exactly like the States. And you said that your committee had been working with other groups as well. Tell me a bit about some of those relationships with other groups. We've been working with a group called NetV, which was a network um, elimination against police violence. 
We've been working with another group called IMPUD. It's another group that is worldwide that has to deal with racism and policing. We've been working with Black Lives Matters, which, I mean, that's pretty much been all over the news in regards to them supporting things that happen in the States. I think those are the main ones, but anyone that comes to us that wants our support or that wants us to be a part of them, you know, there's a Jane Finch group. And Jane and Finch is a Toronto neighborhood with a long history of community-based struggles against racism and against poverty. They've worked with us as well in regards to stopping police violence. So anyone that wants to work with us, we are so grateful to work with. And it's not just a racial thing. We've worked with many different groups. There's actually a group that I'm a part of on Facebook called Affected Families of Police Homicide. And it's a Caucasian lady that started it. And her son was killed by police. And there's many Caucasian families on that page who have had family members killed by police. So she's reached out to me, and I've joined the group, and we've been working with them, too. They have yearly meetings. The 25th of this month, we're actually meeting down by Queen's Park to speak with the Attorney General's secretary about the SIU and the fact that we don't believe that ex-officers should be a part of the SIU. It should be based on community people so that there is no more 98% clearance rate and that people can actually make the right judgments. All the groups that have been there for us. They've been supporting us somewhat in organizing events and somewhat financially in our path to get justice for Jermaine Carvey because, let's be honest, these things are expensive. You know, to hire a private investigator is expensive. To hire a lawyer is expensive. To do these different vigils and different events that we've been putting out, it's helped out in many different ways, and we're totally appreciative. So in your efforts to figure out what happened that night and to figure out what your group needs to be doing to move forward, have you been able to get any information at all directly from either the SIU or the police themselves about what happened and that kind of thing? No, the Peel Regional Police cannot speak on anything. Once the SIU gets involved, the police have to take a step back. There was another news reporter from CBC. She tried to get a statement from the police at 22 Division, and they refused to give her one. The SAU, it's been me calling them down and getting the ombudsman involved. Whenever they don't return my calls, the ombudsman would call them, and then they would finally return my calls and give me the information that I need. But they've been reluctant to tell us once again whether Jermaine had a knife or not. They've been reluctant to tell us where the driver is and what his name is, the officer's name and even why the car got pulled over in the first place. The reason why the car got pulled over, we believe it was racial profiling. I mean, Cam Woolley, an ex-OPP officer, was the first reporter on the scene from CP24, and he said that they called it a routine traffic stop, but he said that doesn't exist. So for him to say that being an ex-OPP officer, it just shows us that this was an act of racial profiling. The SIU, they've been covering up things for days, and they, they don't like the fact that I'm calling them because most families just trust them 100% and leave everything in their hands. But I've been, like I said, been doing my own independent investigation alongside them, and I've been calling them for information. I've been calling them, trying to get deadlines, trying to get dates. It's almost six months since Jermaine has actually been murdered, and we have no information yet. They still haven't released their report. I had to call the coroner and be contacting the coroner and bothering him every day for him to contact the pathologist 
to hurry up and get the autopsy report so that they can give that to the SIU for them to complete their case. I guess they're trained to not give information, which if they're the SIU and they're not working on behalf of the police and they're working on behalf of the community, then I don't see no reason why they can't be helping the family and giving the family answers to questions that we may have. So in that regard, no, they haven't been helpful at all. So what are the core demands of Justice for Jermaine Carby? Our core demands, number one, we would like to know the name of the officer who shot Jermaine. The SIU said the only way the officer's name is released is if the officer is charged. If they choose not to charge the officer, we will never know this officer's name. And if this officer kills somebody again, we cannot compare and say that this officer has a track record of using excessive force because technically we don't know the officer's name. So that's our core demand. Whenever an officer kills somebody, his name should be made known to the public as well as the family. The second demand, we would like to know whether they found the knife at the scene or not. The third demand, we want to know why the Pearl Regional Police pulled over Jermaine Cardi's friend's car in the first place. And the last demand, we want to know the name of the driver who was driving the car and his whereabouts. We know that police have a tendency of intimidating witnesses and threatening witnesses, and we kind of fear for this young man's life because we don't know what the police are doing to make sure that he doesn't tell what really happened that night. I think it comes down to police training. I understand that police are trained to kill, but I feel they need to be trained to immobilize the situation. The second thing, I think they need more training how to deal with different cultures. Also, people with mental health issues. It was brought to my attention when I received the medical reports that my cousin did have mental health issues. Sammy Tim had mental health issues. So these are things that police don't have these type of trainings on how to deal with people. They just think people are hostile when someone could be facing some type of mental health issue. I feel if the police department will train their officers on how to deal with these things, then we would have less murders and a lot more satisfaction in how to deal with different communities. It comes down to them being trained to use alternative measures rather than their guns. So maybe they need to have training on a lot of officers' mental health themselves, you know, some type of psychological training, finding out why they want to be a police officer. Is it power that they're seeking? Are they racist? What drives them to want to be an officer? I think that the Attorney General needs to definitely get involved and change the way the SIU is constructed, meaning instead of it being ex-police officers and ex-people that work in the police field, it should be built up of community members. Community members are people who have compassion, who have heart, who actually have families themselves, and they would be more willing to make the right decision in regards to if an officer should be charged or not, rather than ex-officers. I mean, if I used to work with you and now I'm part of the SIU and you kill somebody, most likely I'm going to let you off because you're my friend. And police, they kind of pledge allegiance to protect each other. So whether or not you're taken out of the police field, and you're now an SIU investigator, you still kind of have that pledge to that allegiance. So I think that's something that we need, too. I think the whole SIU should be disbanded and that they should create a brand-new SIU with just community members and not ex-police officers. Tell me what you have planned for the Justice for Jermaine Carby Committee over the next few months. We're hoping that the SIU completes their report pretty soon. 
But what we have planned in the next month, we plan to release a YouTube video with all the information that we've gathered. We've interviewed Jermaine's family. We've interviewed old friends, old community members, mothers of his community, and just people in general, ex-co-workers that can attest to the type of person that Jermaine was so that we can humanize him. I mean, the media has painted a negative picture about Jermaine and said that he was a criminal in B.C., and he sold drugs, and he was a bad guy, and he was charged for manslaughter. But they failed to mention that he was charged for manslaughter, but the charges were stayed, meaning he was never convicted. They had him in jail for eight months for a crime he didn't do. It was actually a friend of his who stabbed an older man out there. He moved back to Ontario to be a support to his mom in 2012, and he changed his life. He got a job. He got a car. He got a place. He had aspirations to be an electrician. He initially went out to B.C. to become a lawyer. He was enrolled in school. I'm unsure why he dropped out. He obviously got caught up with the wrong crowd. But everybody has a past, and your past doesn't dictate your future. And I feel that it's wrong for them to slander him and expose his past to try to justify why the officers shot him. When I will reiterate, at the time that they shot him, they just shot a black man. They did not shoot Jermaine Carby. They shot a black man because he was a John Doe. It's after the fact that they found out who Jermaine Carby was, they then tried to proceed to slander his name and justify why the officers killed him and paint the image in the media that maybe he was a troublemaker and that's why he got killed. So we plan to release a YouTube video with all of this information, all of the video coverage we have. We have the video coverage of the officers actually shooting him and how far Jermaine was from the officers, meaning he was not posing an immediate threat. They tried to say he died um, in the hospital, but like I said, we have the video coverage that shows that they tried to resuscitate him on the street and had no luck. And when he arrived to the hospital, he had no vital signs for over 45 minutes, according to the medical report. So within the next month, we plan to release this, let people know the truth, so that when the SIU does release their report, if it doesn't match up with the information that we found, then we can actually prove that the SIU covers up for the officers and that they don't have the community's best interest in mind. If anybody wants to follow us, we do have a Facebook page that's called Justice for Jermaine Carby. We do have an email that's uh, justiceforjc092414 at gmail.com. If anyone would like to contact Justice for Jermaine Carby Committee, the phone number is 647-625-88JC. And we just need support. You know, we have our online petition and we also have an online donation page. If you'd like to help out with the cost of these things, you can donate online. And I just want to thank listeners for listening. And I'm happy that I can let people know who Jermaine really was and not what the media has presented him to be. You have been listening to my interview with Latanya Grant. She's the cousin of Jermaine Carby, a black man killed last September by Peel Regional Police in southern Ontario and she's one of the driving forces behind Justice for Jermaine Carby. For more information about their work, search for Justice for Jermaine Carby on Facebook or go to justiceforjermainecarby.com. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked radio. That's talkingradical.ca. 
I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Sudbury, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. 